You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here is your host, Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. Well, thank you for logging into Thank You for Your Servers. Uh, Thaddeus Preston once again, this time without my main man, Gary, but I hope to have him back next week. This and other podcasts are brought to you by the Make Liberty Great Again podcast network, and um, I think we should get into it, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I think we should. I think we should just start talking, um, being that I'm solo on this particular episode. So on this particular episode, um, I do have some things to discuss. Um, Starlink, you know, companies leaving Silicon Valley um, for more than just the uh, typical reasons that we had discussed in previous episodes. We're also going to get into the fact that this TikTok saga seems to be dragging on. And now there's been this tit-for-tat between the U.S. government and the Chinese government. Um, It's basically going to complicate the sale. But let's talk about the positive. So let's talk Starlink, guys. So SpaceX Starlink constellation had its 12th launch this this past week here, um, the week of September 3rd. Uh, It'd be the 12th batch of Internet satellites. It brings the total constellation to 713. So previous to that, um, it had a pretty busy month of August. I think it had a couple of launches in August. And then there was newly unearthed kind of speed test data um, from speedtest.org, uh, I guess, o- o- Ocala. And it was showing some very respectable download and upload speeds um, based on some of the uh, leaked pictures and specs, uh, all from, of course, the Los Angeles area. It was appear that they're getting ping rates in excess of 72 milliseconds all the way down to 31 milliseconds and they're getting download speeds of about 50 50 meg is about the high end i'm looking at based on this chart and the low end is sitting at about 35 and of course uploads are in the teens respectively the worst being 4.58 megabits per second upload to an astonishing 17.70 for upload. Now keep in mind, these things are like hundreds of kilometers above the Earth's surface. And so for those of you who are familiar with RF propagation theory, I mean, the speed of light is a pretty fixed number, but those round trip times are averaging, you know, um, well, at the low end 31 millisecond pings, all the way up to you know, 75 to 94 millisecond pings, or well under the 100 millisecond threshold that the FCC is requiring to be considered a, you know, a broadband service that will allow them to then get access to federal funds. Um, it, it absolutely is astonishing that this is now finally happening. So right now, this is these speed tests were done when there were about 650 satellites in the constellation. There are now 713. They're launching, obviously, they're averaging two missions per month. That's two launches per month into low Earth orbit. Um, this particular portion of the constellation is very low Earth orbit, 
uh, again, you know, 550 kilometers, eventually this constellation will have about 1,400 satellites. And if they're already getting, let's, 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 be, let's be frank, fast DSL to LTE cellular speeds from just the 650 low Earth orbit satellites, it is not hard to see once they get the full low Earth orbit constellation up and they begin to do cross-link performance, uh, cross-link fiber or cross-link laser connections between satellites in orbit, I could see them easily getting into the hundreds of megabits per second down, probably 50 to 100 up. But that remains to be seen. The promises is gigabit speeds, 100 millisecond round trip times and ping times. But this is kind of some of these good news, kind of feel good stories. The fact that there's so much space activity. SpaceX launched within a, within a span of three to four days, two rockets returning both boosters back to Earth, which is the coolest thing to see. I don't care how many times I see those rockets just kind of this, those boosters just descend and, you know, tilt and then land, stick the landing, be it on a drone ship in the middle of the Atlantic or Pacific or back to Cape Canaveral. It's something to behold. And it gets me very, very interested in space. And with good reason. This is the new space race with a twist. They're now private companies in this area, in this sphere that are going to make the things that we need to do when it comes to interplanetary travel possible, driving down the cost of commercial space travel and even the cost of deploying more satellites. I know Rocket Labs uh, had to recover from a launch failure that it had earlier in August to basically launch a satellite from New Zealand. I think they're launching it from New Zealand. I'm not 100% sure. But it just proves that there's a lot of players in this game. Their respectable speeds that, uh, that these, uh, these internet services are going to be capable of. We're going to have everything we need to have true ubiquity when it comes to the internet of things. When it comes to all these services that we're going to inevitably need to enable. Because the internet of things is going to require 5G, ground-based cellular, 4G cellular continued exp expansion of conventional broadband services and then of course now these satellite services that are going to be you know an integral part of interconnecting the world you also have google loon which is taking place with their trials in kenya the world will be truly truly interconnected there's positives and negatives in this day and age a lot of people have a lot of cynicism about these technologies and so there's a lot of bad that can come from this. But just think beyond the moment that we are in, in this country. And think of now what will be possible going forward in the next two to three years. With ubiquity of connectivity, machine learning and AI, quantum computing, trying to get rid of things like disease and treatments and ailments. This is all made possible by this connectivity that, we're put, that, we, that we built out in the, in the 90s. 
and now we're expanded upon in the 2000s, in the 2010s, in the 2020s. By the time this decade is over, and the darkness is past, Starlink, OneWeb, which I, I suspect they, someone bought them out of bankruptcy recently. And so maybe they're going to attempt that constellation. We don't even know what Blue Origin, the Jeff Bezos-inspired space company, is going to do. They also want to do a constellation of satellites. And so this is a good move. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is great for the progress of connectivity. For those of us who are bleeding hearts who want the digital divide to narrow as quickly as possible, particularly in this age of COVID where now we're starting to really see the digital divide for people who don't have access to internet services, this is moving us closer, incrementally, and the best is yet to come. All right, so in leaving Silicon Valley news, over the past couple of weeks, I've been kind of following the S1, the uh, four Palantir Technologies. Um, Palantir Technologies is kind of this data analytics firm um, that was basically put together uh, based on some of the technologies that came out of uh, PayPal's fraud uh, recognition program. And uh, it was going to be, it was going to use these, these analytics to kind of reduce terrorism while preserving civil liberties. Um, it was shopped around the valley in the early 2000s, didn't find many takers. Eventually, it ended up getting about $2 million in venture capital investment from a CIA-backed venture capital arm called INQTEL. Uh, and then Peter Thiel, um, the current enemy of the book Silicon Valley, um, basically threw in $30 million of his own money from his venture capital firm. So the, the company's going to go public here soon. And they made a big fuss about the fact that um, this company will now be relocating from Palo Alto, where it is California, where it is currently located, the heart of the valley, to Denver, Colorado. And the CEO who runs the company has been very, very vocal over the past couple of years about the culture of Silicon Valley not necessarily being conducive to their business model, the people they want to hire, and th their mission-driven kind of national security mission because they have been not very shy about in, uh, basically doing business with INS um, and other intelligence organizations around the world. Now, that's not their only customers when it came, comes to these data, data analytics tools, but it's a, it's a big one. And they feel that it is, um, it, that there was a, a niche there that, certain Silicon Valley firms have kind of shied away from in light of the fact that a lot of Silicon Valley companies have wanted to do kind of national security stuff, um, but have been thwarted either by um, popular, uh, popular uprisings within the ranks of their engineering groups or the fact that in this time, orange man bad, we should do nothing to allow the state more power to these analytical tools and machine learning and AI. Uh, famously, Google turned down a contract to provide machine learning AI infrastructure for image recognition for drone footage um, because there were um, ethical issues associated with that. They didn't want the technology to be used for warfare. Um, this is a admirable goal 
but it also leaves a niche market and it allowed Palantir to kind of step into the fold. And it's allowed other businesses to really step into the fold while Silicon Valley backs away. Um, the CEO, uh, by a, a guy by the name of Alexander Karp, has been very, very vocal about how um, foolhardy and, for lack of a better word, um, unpatriotic this is. Um, it's not a, it's 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 not that he's being jangoistic, but it's just that he just doesn't like the attitude. So in in, in his investor letter, because they're they're going through their roadshow now, in their investor letter he took you know, a couple shots at the Valley on his way to explaining the mission, the ethos of the company. So the quote from some of, some of the stuff that came from this, um, this letter, the engineering elite of Silicon Valley may know more than most about building software, but they do not know more about how society should be organized or what justice requires. Our company was founded in Silicon Valley but we seem to share fewer and fewer of the technology sector's values and commitments. So this is basically the slow love letter to we're hauling ass to Denver. I continue with another excerpt from this uh, letter. I think of it as more of a Dear Jane or Dear John letter. Our software is used to target terrorists and to keep soldiers safe. If we are going to ask someone to put themselves in harm's way, we believe that we have a duty to give them what they need to do the job. Our society has effectively outsourced the building of software that makes our world possible to a small group of engineers in an isolated corner of the country. The question is whether we also want to outsource the adjudication of some of the most consequential moral and philosophical questions of our time. So basically, he was just throwing mad shade at the engineering elite of Silicon Valley and their moralism. They're taking the national security push, and with good reason. Their initial seed funding came from the CIA. And feel, feel as you may about the CIA like I do, like not trusting them. There are companies out there, at the very least, that are already doing this type of work for the Central Intelligence Agency, the NSA, DIA, you, you name it. I feel a little bit more comfortable that there is an actual ex-Silicon Valley company, it will soon be a Denver-based company, being open, going public, and at least understanding that there needs to be some balance between fighting terrorism, protecting the nation-state, and civil liberties. And maybe in the future, uh, this company uh, dies a little bit inside and becomes a dark force for the U.S. intelligence apparatus. But this is not to adjudicate that issue. The issue is that there is this moral and this moralizing that seems to be happening in the valley, and with the basically advent of stay-at-home uh, health orders. And the fact that now workflows have had to change to much more remote work, people were starting to ask the question, do I honestly need to be located in this area between Mountain View and, and San Jose? Founder and, CE, and CEO of formerly Valley Company, Carbon, did the same thing. Now, this is a smaller firm, but they provide like... Um, 
uh, a collaborative platform for accounting firms to help them manage their workflow. Um, and of course, aids in that communications process between teams and that delivers that work to, you know, delivers that work to clients from anywhere. And as we build more and more cloud infrastructure, as we end up, if I go back to the last story about the connectivity that is coming online over the next two to three years, you, you start to see more companies making this choice and decision. And there's a particular reason in Palantir's case, uh, uh, case why they moved to Denver. I'm in the region. The mecca for any of that type of technical work is in Denver, Colorado. Companies that are already up there, Amazon's already there, Google is already there, Xilinx is already there, VMware is already there, Oracle is already there. And the epicenter of aerospace engineering in this part of the world is in Colorado Springs, which is a basically a 67, 60 to 70 mile drive south. So they're finding that these environments are much more favorable. They're also finding that as the valley and other hotspots around the country become unlivable because of continued COVID-19 mandates for closing down of leisure, inconveniencing of being a inconveniencing of being able to basically go shopping, to basically go out, intermingle, destroying the serendipity that existed in the valley for so many years, where people just meet up at places. You get rid of that, or you greatly impede that. And what you start to find is that maybe you can do this from anywhere. And people are starting to realize you can do this from anywhere. And then we're having a kind of a repeat of the 1960s, particularly 1968, where there's a lot of unrest in these urban centers. And now people are starting to realize, maybe, just maybe, I don't want to be here. Maybe, just maybe, as people face their own mortality, they start looking at their posterity, i.e., I need to, you know, build something, family, friends, community, relationship, that I'm not quite getting in this urban setting anymore, and that now there are frictions against this. And this is what made Silicon Valley such a hot property, right? It is literally Hollywood for tech geeks. Its ethos, its story is about the serendipity of meeting and going to school with and collaborating with all these people, men and women, gay or straight. It did, this, this stuff really didn't matter back in the day. If you could collaborate, you could build something new. Beyond AI is, is another company that is definitely like, yeah, maybe we should, we should get out of here because they don't like the toxic atmosphere around Facebook and Google with, you know, they tend to perpetually blame Facebook for Cambridge Analytica and uh, Google's sexual misconduct investigations. There's nothing unique about what companies do when it comes to sexual uh, misconduct investigations. Google did no different than any other company. And not, not that I don't think that maybe employees shouldn't maybe hold certain companies much more accountable, particularly if they're going to delve in the arena of social justice for the sake of social justice. But that's starting to have a very toxic effect on whether or not you would even start a company there. I argue that you don't need to. So 
other than this, I think this is, I don't know if it's the beginning of the floodgates. Um, but I do believe going forward, though, more people are going to leave this region because it needs a correction. It needs a economic correction because yeah, it's become completely unlivable. And lastly, most importantly, it needs a social correction. And I think when these companies move to these other locations like Colorado, like Idaho, like Texas, they start to realize there are other points of view and that maybe it's better to build products with a much more diverse workforce and a much more diverse audience. I don't think they'll learn that right away. I think um, Facebook hasn't learned this yet. Twitter hasn't learned this yet. Um, Google hasn't learned this yet. But I think they will. I think these smaller companies are going to start eating their lunch, particularly when they realize that the talent isn't strictly in the valley and the thought, the thought processes aren't strictly emanating from this part of the world. Okay, let's talk about the ongoing TikTok saga. When we last left off with the TikTok saga, there was an a executive order signed by the Trump administration that basically gave, as we do this broadcast here, them another 13, 14 days, so the 20th of September, to find a, for ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, to find a U.S. buyer. Why? Again, national security, national security, national security. So, basically the bidding war started. They're basically now kind of two and a half, Two and a half major suitors, possibly three. So based on what I've read, it looks like we have Microsoft teaming up with Walmart. We have Oracle. And then we just have a consortium of private equity firms, maybe with big money SoftBank coming in to maybe do anything. I mean, this is all conjecture at this point. Um, this is a mess. To further complicate matters, the Chinese government, um, last week, basically said, in order for ByteDance to even sell to another U.S. entity, or basically a foreign entity, it has to go and now vet itself through this, basically the equivalent of what we have. So basically, the Chinese version for the Committee on Foreign Investment is basically what now ByteDance and any particular, uh, um, who is ultimately going to be the suitor, having to go through the Chinese version of a national security tech, uh, check. Why? Well, apparently what Microsoft and Walmart want to buy, or an Oracle want to buy, and, and anyone for that matter wants to buy when dealing with ByteDance's uh, Byte TikTok is the AI algorithm that makes it so addictive, right? It's the intellectual property and that, and that machine learning AI technology for which now has to be vetted through the Chinese equivalent of foreign investment and, and national security. So that basically slows down that um, process, that, is that, that, that courtship that is trying to be negotiated between ByteDance, Oracle, Microsoft, Walmart Consortium, um, and again, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. So now it would appear that the Chinese are doing a blocking action. And they were, 
And they sounded pretty upset about it when the regulator got up there and said, ah, pump the brakes on this, guys. Um, the Chinese government needs to approve the transfer of TikTok's algorithm and all the IP associated with it. Pump the brakes on this. This is a goddamn mess. This is, this, this is why um, I am a free trade absolutist. Why in God's name are we even having to play around with this? It was a specious argument to begin with to even put this executive order out there. It just complicates matters. It puts the brakes on a lot of economic activity that was going to take place. The CEO of the company that had just come from, uh, that, had, that was formerly with Disney, resigned um, a week ago. Um, I think the guy's name is Mayer. Um, he, he's saying like, well, hell, if it's just gonna be this US-centric company, I joined TikTok so that we could do things globally. Um, and that's going to be made extremely difficult um, if now it has to be US-based. I don't believe that to be true, but it makes, it makes sense if I join a company to be this, that's going to become this global social media phenomena. I mean, in the, in, if you look at what TikTok ha has become and what it is, it is a much better and much more addictive version of Snap. Um, the potential, particularly with Microsoft's uh, Azure technology and Walmart's distribution, to be able to then do product placement is huge. You know, TikTok has grown 800% since January of 2018. I mean, it is the fastest growing non-US social media platform ever. And so, and then its IP is enormous. And, you know, the CEO and founder of ByteDance could stand to pocket like tens of billions of dollars. I'm hearing suitors are out there asking for like 40 to 50 billion dollars. And Microsoft is willing to take that bid. Oracle is willing to put its, its name in for the bid. There have been banks and uh, financial firms shopping it around to maybe Twitter, to maybe Google, or Alphabet in this instance. Um, I think they're not in the mood yet to delve into this. They're kind of dealing with the ire of the Trump administration currently. Microsoft doesn't, and Oracle seem to be on the on the up and up with the Trump administration, which also makes this whole thing gross. President Trump the other day said that Oracle would be a good company could, to, to, to handle TikTok. I, I don't think so. I think Oracle is a, it, it's a data-driven company. It's databases. It's, you know, cloud infrastructure for managing data. I don't think it really, other than the IP that it could grab from TikTok to make its databasing and cloud services more robust, better, um, whatever. I don't think it's a good move. I think Microsoft is a better move. I think Twitter would be a superior move or Snap um, in this instance. Um, but I think Twitter is, again, on the outs right now. Uh, Google, is Google, i.e. Alphabet, is facing um, antitrust suits. So I don't think it would want to get into the business. I think Microsoft has an end because it just won a government contract, and it's the front of mind for most of the Trump administration. Um, and I think Walmart, combined with Microsoft, um, would, would be 
of the people who are bidding it up are at a better suitor, particularly when it becomes uh, when Microsoft and Walmart are looking at the growing threat, not of Google, probably not even of Facebook, but of Amazon. Um, and so maybe it'd be a good thing. I don't know. But this has been a, a hot mess for a very long time. Um, it's, now it's, great, it's much more complicated than it, than it was originally before. Um, and this is why the state shouldn't really involve itself in these things. So if ByteDance can near this agreement to allow it to operate in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and it's also as well in talks to get back into India, probably contingent on this sale, it's just gross. It's, it's terrible when these technologies and these companies are now getting dragged into geopolitical politics and posturing. Um, it's not good for the consumer. It's not good for tech. And it's proven to be, as you can see, a hot mess. All right, with that said, uh, that's all I got for the week or for this particular podcast. Promised to maybe, possibly, have Gary back in the saddle, probably for the next episode, if not episodes in the future. Um, thank you again for logging in to thank you for your servers. This has been Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. Check me out on other MLGA podcasts as I'm made available. And also some of my efforts with the Armenian Council for Truth and Journalism, where we talk about a little bit more esoteric subjects. But with that said, thank you for tuning in. 